KTYT. I'm Nomi Konst. We're here in Racine, Wisconsin with the one, the only, Randy Bryce. I'm sure you recognize his face, Iron Stash, running for Congress against Speaker Paul Ryan. Has gotten so much attention. I mean, you're, you're like probably the third most famous politician in America right now, <laughs> or liked. I think your approval, your approval ratings are definitely above Donald Trump's. Have to be. I don't. I think I, you have to start digging a hole in the ground if you want to go lower than him. <laughs> exactly. But we're we're here on a, a lovely winter day. You can't see, but but I'm staring at a frozen lake where people are ice fishing, and we're right against the lake right now having lunch um, over cheese curds, which I'm excited to try. That's great. They're great. So, Randy, I mean, you were an iron worker. Your story, the video of your announcement, uh, went viral almost instantly, and you've gotten support from all different types of Democrats. You're a progressive, you were a Bernie supporter, you, you defied your union and supported Bernie and, and were surrogate for him on the campaign trail here, introducing him when he came to Wisconsin, a state which, let's not forget, he won and, and you know, committed the time to come here, and unfortunately, uh, Hillary did not win Wisconsin. So why do you think your I mean, just from, from the get-go, why do you think that your story resonated with so many people, uh, especially from Wisconsin? Well, I think what happened, talking to um, like some people that, that supported Trump, we have a lot of voters that voted for Trump, but also, also supported Obama, President Obama. And it was just they felt that working people weren't being paid attention to, weren't being heard. So when Donald Trump came, when he put on a hard hat and he talked about, we're going to bring coal jobs back, it was people felt like he was paying attention to them. They're finding out, they're seeing now that he had no intent of keeping any promises that he made. Or looking back, I was like, research how this man made his money. There were workers, I worked on a, a high-rise in downtown Milwaukee that worked on the Trump Tower. And, and they saw how he, he withheld like payroll money for a, for a subcontractor so they couldn't make, you know, they couldn't make it so that you settle a little, you settle down the line for a lesser amount. That's making money by stiffing the workers. That's what he was about. So it's now all that buyer's remorse is, is being swapped around, and, and people are they're like, look, this, this is a guy that, that does the actual work. He builds things with his hands. And, I mean, I can drive around through the area with my son pointing out, you know, Dad built that. He's a, it's at the point now where he's like, shut up, Dad. I know you, you built that already. Um, but it's, it's a lot different from my story compared to Donald Trump. And, and that's one of the big things that I'm always told is just be authentic, just be you. There's no, you know, trying to polish, polish myself up for a lap. Like, just go, go be you. Which is very unusual in politics, especially if you're running for Congress. You know, there's the consultant. The consultants get in the room with the candidates and try to make them the most likable for that community. They look at a bunch of, you know, polls and, and they groom that candidate to be the candidate that they think is going to win. You're running against Paul Ryan. Why, I mean, okay, now people are taking you very seriously, but when the idea came to you, like what inspired you to run against the arguably one of the most powerful men in, in the country? Well, I had been looking to, you know, help other people out and, and uh, as far as getting other people to run. Anybody that's ran for the last decade against him, I took them I was, as political coordinator for the iron workers. I would take them, introduce them to labor, at least get them a start. You know, here's, here's some money to get you, you going. Um, introduce them to people that could help them know what they needed to run a campaign. And he really hasn't had to fight for, for his race. I've seen that. And people have been coming up and asking, they're like, well, you, you, know, you, you supported Bernie for pre-primary, and then you, know, you, you helped like get veterans behind Hillary for the general election. You can get both of these, these groups together to work together. And so that's what, evidently they were looking for somebody like that. I talked with Marina Dmitrievich from the Working Families Party. It was a week, it was the last week in April about Corey Mason running for mayor of Racine, who I was like, we need to get this man elected. He's a, a state rep that when we were illegally locked out of our capital in Madison, he physically had his desk carried outside in the wintertime to meet with constituents. So I was like, when you're going to have a guy like that run for office, yes, I'm going to get behind him. And then there was concern, well, there was another person running against him, and it was like, aren't you afraid? What if he loses? And I was like, this is what we need to do. We need to stand up, stand for people that we believe in. 
get behind him. He won, and uh, it's also going to help us out in the long term because we're looking at, you know, we, we want to get people to the polls. We want to get have as many hours of operation as we can for, for voting, early voting. Um, so we're going to get a lot of help from having progressive municipal leaders, you know, here, Kenosha as well. And so it's, um, it, it got to be a thing when we were talking, myself and Marina, about Corey Mason. I was getting up. He was like, oh, and we're looking for somebody to run for Paul, against Paul Ryan. And we think you would do, you would be the perfect fit. So I was like, I mean, I'm, you know, I did run before. You've run for office. Right, for, for state so office. For that, and it was, I mean, it wasn't. It, yeah, and it was like, a, you know, I worked full time as an iron worker, and then what time I had left, I, would, I ran for office. It was a, the areas were pretty heavily gerrymandered. Right. Um, but this time, it was like, you know, I, I need to think about it. I can't answer you right now. Let me think about it. And then the week after was the May Day Parade with Volsis, and that was like one of the groups that had initially contacted me. They're just terrified of Trump being elected, right. ripping their families apart right. when they're at school. The yeah. Why did they reach out to you? I had been involved with you know uh, labor issues and veteran issues, especially since Scott Walker was elected, and and they took over. I've been going testify yearly on behalf of the garbage that they had been pushing. That I mean, and it it's almost ridiculous the stuff that they were pushing. It was because you would explain to them how last year's legislation already crushed us. It was like, what don't you like about something going on? And they would tell us. They're like, you guys are ramming us through so quick, you don't realize that last year's legislation already took that away. So it's not, right. it's not a thing. Why are you still doing it? And it's, they don't know. It's like the legislators don't know. They get something from Alec. They white out Alec. They put their name down, and they pass it. Wow. So they're literally given the legislation. They white out Alec and then they take credit for the legislation. So, you know, can we talk a little bit about the history, and, and, and feel free to eat because, <laughs> you know, these are delicious. Are the, on a scale of one to 10, how good are these, these cheese curds um, for Wisconsin? These would be an eight. An eight, and what is a cheese curd? This, there's two different kinds. They're, like these are the fried cheese curds, which are probably not as healthy for you as the other ones. And the other ones like just don't have, <laughs> The other ones don't have a coating, mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind that you rub, and if they squeak, then it's okay. That's what's referred to as squeaky they cheese. They squeak? Squeaky cheese. You guys take your cheese very seriously. Yes. What is this cheese? Do we, is it, just it can be, I think <laughs> this is, um, I'm not sure what kind of this is. Mozzarella? Mm. It's great. I'm sold. I can't stay here any longer because I'm going to gain 10 pounds. Um, <laughs> But, you know, talking a little bit more about the history of Wisconsin and, you know, the last decade has been, uh, the state's been impacted tremendously. And, you know, you're a, you're a union member. You were part of the Iron Workers. How much have unions been ripped apart in the state over the last decade? And what happened? It's been unbelievable how it's changed. I was just talking last night after the recall. We tried to recall Scott Walker. When was that? Um, that? That was like after he was elected, he pushed for he put forth Act 10, which is going to strip public union, public sector unions of the right to collectively bargain. Public sector workers were born here. The public sector was born in Wisconsin, um, and so was unemployment. Uh, not unemployment. Uh, workers' comp was also created here. And a, a few years before, I remember online somebody had had said, we're going to take away like unions, we're going after unions in Wisconsin. And I, was, I just laughed at them, just thinking, that's never going to happen, because it's so strong within our state. And then seeing what happened with Act 10. and How was he able to do that? It's a sneak attack, yeah. They, that was, uh, I mean, we lost Russ Feingold that election. He got elected, and I knew from, because he, he was, he was the uh, Milwaukee County executive and I saw how he treated the county workers and it was not I knew it wasn't gonna be good if he got into Madison but I didn't think it was gonna be as bad as he did. It's just like Donald Trump minus the bravado which is yes. even sneakier because it is a sneak attack it's yes. not right there out in the open you know it is it just seems. I remember when I, I drove home it was a Friday afternoon it was cold and I got a phone call about that he was gonna go 
do this Act 10 thing. So we were like, we don't know what we're going to do. It was myself, um, Colin, who's with the, the Iron Workers International now, and Graham Zelensky, who's the communications director for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. He called us. He's like, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. So we ended up thinking about it, and we're like, well, let's, let's have a rally. Let's have a march. So it was either going to be Jeff Fitzgerald, who was the speaker for the assembly, or, or his brother Scott Fitzgerald, who was the, the Senate leader. We're going to march to one of their houses. And we picked Jeff Fitzgerald because his, he lived in a more heavily populated area. So within a couple of days, we were able to get 250 people to meet in Horicon, Wisconsin. And we, and we marched. It was to the machinist. We met at the machinist lodge, and then we marched to Jeff Fitzgerald's house. You went to the machine. Right. The political machine. Wow. Right. And um, that, was, that was the first time I heard talk about recalling Scott Walker. And, and uh, it was just, I mean, the hair stood up on the back of my neck when you, when you hear that. And it's like, this is where we're going to go. People are that upset. And then after that, drove to Madison and saw how the crowds built up there to hundreds of thousands. And just going every weekend, taking off of work to go during the day. Then just seeing how the state had been torn apart. Like during the recall, it was almost like a, a civil war politically was going on here. There were signs that if you saw like a, a Republican sign in, in front of a business, there were places on Facebook that just listed the businesses, like do not frequent these businesses. Which even to this day, there are some people that, that hold a grudge. Like, I remember he had so-and-so sign there. And then they had, after the recall, um, some Republicans would use the recall list because it was made public. So they put it on a website. So anybody, that was like the black list. Even some companies, when they were hiring, would go to look at that list. If you sign the recall, you're not getting hired. But it, has, it had gotten very divided as a result of that. So then seeing what happened here as a result and how they were able to carve up all the districts and, and push their voter suppression so that people can't get to the polls, which was a big deal in Wisconsin. When did that get passed? It's, it's been a constant thing. They're, they try to, to stop it down, especially before the last, last year's election in November. It really affected us. But they've been trying to do things since then. I mean, like to the point where the people at the DMV are directed not to volunteer information that they can check a box and get the ID for free if it's just for poll use, to cutting down the hours that the DMVs are open, especially in rural areas, so you can't even get them. And if you don't have a license on a rural area, how are you supposed to get to the Okay, let's talk about your district because, you know, Paul Ryan, uh, he's a speaker. You think that the Republicans would do everything they could to keep him in office just because he has been so successful in, in pushing through Ayn Rand's dream, <laughs> which is the tax bill. Do you feel like people on the ground here in your district have the same, Republicans, independents, whoever, have the same feelings about Paul Ryan that say maybe the, the, you know, the establishment Republicans do in D.C.? I think there's a, there's a small percentage of people that will stand by Paul Ryan because he's a speaker not, you know, regardless of what, what he's able to get done. He's always tried to present himself in the area as a policy wonk that just wait till we get the majorities in what we're going to be able to do for everybody. He's also said he's been against um, like the big pork items, but that's only for in the district. He hasn't done anything to help people in the district. It's for, it's for elsewhere. So now that he's been Speaker of the House, and it was like looking at how unsuccessful they couldn't, I mean, luckily they were unable to get anything done last year aside from the tax scam. Um, but just seeing Donald Trump write executive order after executive order, it was like, why do you need to do that? You have a majority in every place. But that, at the same time, that scared me, seeing what happened to Wisconsin and how they carved us up and just started jamming things down our throat where it was before you had plenty of time to make it to go testify in Wisconsin. Now they cut it down to 24 hours notice, just a bare minimum. It's like ambush legislation is what they have going on. I didn't want to see that happen on a federal level. And so finally when it was asked, it was like, will you, will you run? It was at that, that May Day parade where it was, you know, tens of thousands of people that you know are terrified all around you, that their families, they're there because they're afraid their families are going to get ripped apart. But yet seeing that look of determination on their faces, 
united in big groups. And it was like, when you get asked at that point, there's no saying no. You knew there was support for you, and you knew that people were going to organize. And, and worst case scenario, you, you get to highlight the issues that right. need to be highlighted in this district. Right. Well, and it was, it was knowing that, just knowing that nobody's going to fight. I'm that determined to make a change, and nobody's going to fight harder than me. You know, so it was, why not me? Why not? Let's talk about your story. You know, we saw some of it in the video. Uh, what, what's your, your background? You're an iron worker, you're a veteran, but... Born and raised in southeastern Wisconsin. My dad's a retired cop. Um, he now has Alzheimer's. He lives in assisted living. My mom is MS. She worked at a doctor's office. Um, great, typical middle-class upbringing. Graduated from public schools. Enlisted in the Army after I got out, three years, spent some time in Honduras, was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and um, was part of the Rapid Deployment Forces, so we were, we were on alert a lot and as far as getting sent to different areas. Oh, He's eating healthy. Mahi-mahi sandwich. <laughs> this is a lot of food. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, after I got out of the Army, one of the first jobs I had was working with homeless veterans. And, you know, I saw from when I was in Honduras, I made friends with the guy that turned the water on and off because you didn't have water 24-7. It was only, you'd only get it during certain periods. At the base? At the, yeah. yeah. Um, just seeing that and looking, you know, open my eyes to the haves and the have-nots, you know, being, like I said, being raised in a, a middle-class family. And then coming home and then look, working with veterans. And I was like... You know, if I didn't have that job working with homeless veterans, I could have been one of the homeless veterans. It was just, I mean, that really hit home. You know, like, these guys just came back. They did the same thing I did, and our government's not doing anything for them. Just go from, from hero to zero. So it was, it was through a grant working with the National Association of Black Veterans that I, that I did that for like a year and a half, almost two years. Um, but it was, I mean, the issues that they face, too. They, they have no home. So if we get, get them cleaned up, send somebody to a job interview, how are they going to know if they did well? How are you, who do they call? Who, who do you send? So we had it, they were able to use the, uh, the shelters. We talked to the shelters. They can use that address. They can use their phone to leave a message. But having, going back to the, the guy in Honduras with the water, you know, looking at nowadays, um, we still have homeless veterans. We still have a lot of homeless people. Um, and just seeing this, like this tax scam, and, and the richest people are getting another break, while we're not doing anything to help the veterans the that veterans. they that they exploit, right. frankly. Right, and I mean that was my first realization, just living in in an area with the haves and the have-nots, and then coming back here um, and seeing now, you know, in, in 2018, Trump's America, where. You just got back from Puerto Rico. They don't have electricity. They don't, it's like we're going towards that Honduras. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do is highlight parts of the country and world, but tell the story of, of disaster capitalism, as Naomi Klein calls it, you know, the shock politics where, where regions have been attacked, you know, workers have been attacked, um, governments have been starved of resources, and then... And then suddenly everything needs to be privatized. You push, you know, you, you, you push down the unions, privatize everything, and then they rush through this legislation or offer opportunities to come in and, you know, for private contractors to come in and take government jobs or union jobs. Or, I mean, this, in Puerto Rico, it's obvious what's, what's happening. I mean, they're literally not paying their police officers right now because they can't afford to because the government's not funding them. <laughs> the debt crisis, and now you have private contractors coming in to keep you know, security in Puerto Rico. This is happening in Wisconsin, in Buffalo, in Pennsylvania, in regions all over the country. This is not, it's, it's not an idea anymore, it's not a philosophy, it's inaction, it's hurting communities. So, you know, one of the things that we hear is that the thing that's going to stop this is, is getting progressives, progressives elected. So if you do get elected, you know, you're going to be one member in Congress. How are you, I mean, a very progressive member in Congress, but how are you going to be able to convince, you know, your colleagues that no is, is not enough, it's incrementalism is not the way that we're going to shift 
these draconian policies? There are already um, quite a few members of Congress that have, have reached out that we communicate. Like Ruben Gallego has been phenomenal in Arizona. He, he even came up here and had a town hall with us um, talking about DACA. Um, but there, and there are other, like there are, there's uh, another, I can't think of his name, an electrician. Um, when I was in D.C., we were talking about, you know, we need more, more billing tradespeople that actually worked out in the field. Um, there are some that are in, but it's, it's being able to just to tell, you know, tell my story. That I know what it's like to, to get laid off in the wintertime suddenly because, I mean, we don't know. And with the billing trades, we don't know how long our job's going to last. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know what it's like to get laid off in the wintertime. I know that there aren't any other jobs going on. Um, I turned down working up in Canada, where they're actually digging up the tar sands, when I was unemployed. And that was like getting 200, 200 some odd dollars a week, which you can't live on. But it's like 260 something. Uh, unemployment. That's because of like child support getting taken out for for my son's uh, mom. But I had a friend that was working up there, and he was like, he said, "You should, if you need work, come on up here. We're making over a hundred thousand a year." And as it was at a camp, they fly they fly you in, they fly you back. You work some really long hours for a, a period of time. The company pays to fly you back home, and they take really good care of you. You live in a camp up there, and I was like, you know what? I think I'll wait till something comes up down here. Um, but that's one of the things that I think we need to do is, is talk. Other union members, they're worried about keeping a roof over their heads. So they're, they're people that'll go do those jobs. I didn't feel comfortable personally doing it. So I did. Um, but that's where we need to tell them, you know, and the iron workers in this area, we wrote the book, the Local 8 wrote the book on how to put wind turbines up. So that's, I mean, that's something that we were starting to get into. Scott Walker came and got elected. They put a halt to all wind turbines in Wisconsin. Why? What, what is what's making up, their strategy? Making up excuses. They're too, they make too much noise for the local farmers. Whatever they can. And it's, yeah. I mean, we know who's, who's bankrolling their elections yeah. and why they won't let us put them up. Um, but that book's still being used throughout the country for putting them up every place else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, people are proud of what they do. But... More importantly, they need to, to keep food on their tables. So that's why it's dependent on us, you know, when we get elected to places like that, is to go and make sure that we're able to build more, put up more wind turbines right. as alternative, you know, sources of, of fuel. Um, and then being able to relay that into the workers. It was like, not only is this going to feel good because you're getting paid good to put these wind turbines up, but it's also good for the environment. It's a win-win for everybody. I've been asking this question of a lot of people. Uh, Around, around how you kind of fix, turn back the clock, right? There's, Hillary Clinton said the cold jobs are not coming back. Mm -hmm. And that has now become a, a slogan um, by a lot of centrist Democrats, more neoliberal policies, who think that you know, Wisconsin will never be what it was before 10 years ago or, or when unions were at their strongest, right? Buffalo is never going to be, you can't reopen all those factories. You know, Detroit's not going to be the same. Which is, it's, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough thing to answer. Like, how do you rebuild the economy? You know, you may not have the same types of jobs, but how do you rebuild this region and convince people who have been affected, who may have done the same thing their entire lives, and now their job is either obsolete or has gone overseas, and it's going to be very hard to bring it back. There are other things that, that we need to be looking at, especially retraining. Whereas, you know, as far as the expense of, of retraining yourself once you get laid off from a job, like a, the first district, there are thousands upon thousands of, of auto worker jobs. There's a huge plant that's being overgrown with weeds in Janesville. They're still finishing bulldozing a huge plant that was in Kenosha. Delphi was just to the north of us. A lot of jobs, and even the, the UAW jobs in Racine County have shrunk quite a bit that work at uh, Case New Holland. But even though the factories and the buildings that these people worked at are abandoned, we can't abandon the workers. They need something to do. And when you get laid off, you're not going to have extra money to be able to go pay for school. Because you're thinking about 
that unemployment, a couple hundred dollars, maybe three hundred dollars a week that you're getting, you can't live off of that. And if you have kids, you know, you're going to lose your health insurance too as a result of that because it's health insurance is so often based on, on where you work. Uh, which is why it makes so much sense for something like Medicare for All. That's also going to help bring jobs here because Scott Walker, I mean not Scott Walker, Paul Ryan's talking about like the GE plant that the whole factory moved from Waukesha to Canada. He was blaming it on a tax rate that he couldn't even keep which number straight that he wanted to use. But it's like, no, let's look at the big picture. Canada has universal health care. They have a system in place. We're competing with that system as part of it. So if you want, to, want things to be equal, let's start talking about, and you can't tell me we can't afford it when you just gave this huge tax break to the richest people in the country. None of it's making any sense. And, and I think they're starting to see that none of it's, it makes sense to them because they were admitting that if we don't get this tax scam bill passed, our donors aren't going to contribute anymore. You said that out in the open. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. unreal. So they're not even shy about that. And now, you know, today seeing people that are, are not planning on running again, left and right. Daryl Issa today announced. I'm really optimistic about 2018. Really optimistic. And, it, you know, at one point when we first started, people were like, are you crazy? Don't you, you know, you really think you have a chance? And it was from day one. Yeah, we definitely do. Just wait. Now you've outraised him twice? I don't know about last quarter. I don't know who brought in last quarter. But I do know we brought in more than the Republican Senate candidates. And it's all small dollar, I mean, average? 25? Average was, I don't know if it, was, if it went down to 24. Um, but like 20, yeah, like $25 average contribution. How many donations is that? Over 100,000. Over 100,000 people across the country have invested in your campaign to take on Paul Ryan. That has got to freak him out. That has got to freak out Republicans. Because, you know, they're, hey, if it were up to me, I'd have 1,200, you know, more Randy Bryce's running across the country to win back all these legislatures. Because it is, it's, it's a powerful story. It's a, it's a powerful story, and, you know, there aren't enough workers, people who work for a living in Congress. It's, you know, the average congressperson is a millionaire. So that's, I mean, 2018 does seem very bright. I'm going to let you eat a little bit because we, <laughs> we have to get going, and I'm, I'm looking at the time, so um, we'll, we'll continue throughout the day talking more about the district. Hey, TYT, I'm Nomi Konst. We are here in Racine, Wisconsin at Toad Hall having an end-of-the-day beer after following around the great Randy Bryce while he campaigned today, showing us around Wisconsin, his district. Um, we just finished up a, a DACA roundtable, and, and you really, I mean, couldn't have picked a more timely day. This was the day that Donald Trump... Uh, you know, I, I assume he ordered ICE to go and raid 7-Elevens across the country. And uh, thus far, over 20 people have been arrested, and, and they raided hundreds of 7-Elevens, rounding people up. And this is a day after he announced that he was going to be deporting more people, uh, people that have been protected from Central America for over two decades. So, I mean, this is a key issue. I don't think most people would think that Wisconsin is the epicenter for for DACA recipients, but what we're seeing is that there are so many different communities of immigrants from all over the country who are not just Latino or Central American, but from everywhere. Right, and it, it's a very diverse group of people that immigrated here. And I mean, it, it, just the fact of going and picking on any one group, as soon as you see that happen, you know there's gonna be another group. And, and that's what's been going on from, and that's how he got elected too was getting people pointing the finger at other people saying it's their fault you don't have something I'm gonna fix it when I get in well he's he's just doing more damage well he's saying I mean he talked about draining the swamp but nobody knew that what he was gonna fill it back up with was gonna be a lot more toxic than swamp water <clears throat> so it yeah it, it's it's horrible that we have a bully for a president and it's horrible that nobody else is standing up to him too uh, like a Paul Ryan speaker of the house in Congress who had said that he's going to let him go along and, and do what he's doing because um, Donald Trump is letting him get his agenda passed. So it's, you know, and that's not, he talked about slowing down Donald Trump. Well, that's, you're supposed to be, it's part of checks and balances. It's not enabling the president, which is exactly what he's doing right now. What I find especially interesting about where we are is, you know, Donald Trump did invest quite a bit of energy and time in the Rust Belt region. And he didn't just say, you know, your jobs are gone. 
and he didn't say the the big companies sent them overseas because of because of the tax policies or the way that uh, the income you know the the, 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 the you know, workers' rights have not been protected and um, he said oh no they're stealing your jobs right. and so when you look at a district like this district and the fact that you know you were motivated to run in part by the your involvement with the dreamer community as a union organizer I mean that I just find that dynamic so fascinating do you do you see that more people who are members of unions like they realize now that they didn't lose their jobs because of the other people people are starting to get it and and it's because we're looking at the bigger picture and that's what I talked about at the at the, the town hall that we had it's not somebody coming to get your job I mean first of all you're busting your rent because you want to achieve this American dream. So, you know, and, and we're at a point now where we used to be able to pass along something more to our kids. And now it's, we're lucky if we can have, we can pass along what we had. The same, you know, the, the pay scale is, is leveling off. That's not going up unless you're a CEO. Or, and getting a lot of help through the tax scam that was just recently pushed. But it's... Um, it's about people working harder and having less and less to show for it. And so as we get, you know, things get tighter for us, it's you want to lash out at, at wherever you can. So who's close is like your neighbor. And especially when you have somebody on TV who's in a position of leadership, no less, telling you that you should be upset with your neighbor instead of looking at the big picture. And, and leadership is about uniting people. That's not what we have going on now. And looking at the divide and conquer, how it was different union groups that they went after in, in, in Wisconsin initially, I mean, that set off all kinds of alarms when you, you hear Donald Trump running for office, picking people off one at a time. So that's why it's great. I mean, and, and in talking, too, about, well, should, this, should they deport everybody? Wisconsin, which is known as being a dairy state, is, as we learned earlier tonight, the dairy industry is gone. Explain, because, explain why. Because it's it's based off of, of the people that are milking the cows. It's people that are here without documentation um, that could fall into that. And you know, and this and this, what we have now is just a temporary two-year thing. That's just relief of mind, peace of mind for two years. But when that two years is up, then this fear and anxiety and everything comes back because it's like, now what are we going to do? And that's dependent on who's in charge, and that shouldn't be the way it is. We should get something passed that's not dependent on anything else. Like, it's not a, we don't deserve to, you know, build a wall. That shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a trade-off. And first of all, why are we paying for the wall that Donald Trump promised us Mexico is going to pay for? So he's, he's lying to get more from us. It's really a sad place, and it's, it's a scary place for too many. And that's not, that's not the America that I was raised in. That's not why I enlisted in the Army to go and protect the country that's going to only look out for certain people. It's, it's interesting, like, the, the wall promise, um, I, I was listening to some Republicans struggle to defend this deal, this trade-off. Like, it, it seems like he's not able to even loop in his own Republicans on the wall issue. I mean, you think after this long he'd be able to kind of round them, round them up and, and Get them to support his wall, especially if it's in a trade-off with, with DACA recipients. I think when I mean, you look at someone like Paul Ryan, he, I, I, I don't, I don't know where he stands on immigration issues, but you know there has been Republican, some Republican support for immigration reform over the past you know decade. Um, but you know he was hesitant to support Donald Trump when it comes to the wall. Do you see that he's shifting now because he has to be in, you know in a good relationship with Donald Trump? He's his biggest enabler right now. And it is just to get past what he wants to get past. Um, and, and I think now, too, what you're seeing with the Republicans is just the record number of, record number of them getting out. I mean, Daryl Issa, you know, he's, he's hiding out on the roof of some building right now. Saying, yeah, he's, he's done. He pulled the plug. And there was talk not too long ago about, about Paul Ryan having enough, too. And they see what's, what's going on. They know that this is what they were, they were hired to be in office for on behalf of their their donors, so it's like, what else is left? What else? And what's going to be left for us if we if we let it happen? Well, let's think about let, let's talk about the next uh, several months. You you know this is we're in mid January right now, the beginning of mid January. Um, you know you have a primary in August, and then obviously the general elections in November. What do you anticipate 
the narrative, how do you, how do you anticipate the narrative shifting over the, the next 11 months, uh, given where we are right now? I mean, do you see more people organizing against Paul Ryan if he does stay in the race, if he does stay in office? Um, do you see the Republicans coming in and taking outside money to, to boost him or slam you? I mean, is there any sense? I'm, I'm sure they will. And, and it's, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it to get attacked from all different sides. It's, I mean, it's been going on already. Um, but that's one of the reasons why we got in as early as we did, because we knew he's going to pretty much have unlimited money. And then not this past quarter, it recently ended, the one before, where he actually took out $2 million out of his account that he, he raised money for every other Republican. And I heard he since put it back in. That, but I'd imagine just the fact that you're taking $2 million out says that you, know, that you think you need $2 million because somebody else is, is raising a decent amount of money. And also, he, I mean, he, he said he didn't want to be speaker. I don't, regardless of what's going to happen um, with my election, He's not going to be speaker in November. People actually believe that. When that first happened, I think a lot of folks were were surprised that he didn't want to be speaker, just given how ambitious he's been since he was, you know, four. Right. <laughs> for, for those who don't know, Paul Ryan has been plotting his political career since he opened up his first Ayn Rand book. Right. <laughs> um, here comes the food. What did you order? Thank you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, just have to note, as we're sitting here, um, this is Ty, our cameraman behind the camera, made a joke and said it's like Anthony Bourdain politics in, in Wisconsin. We have a great beer uh, from Wisconsin called the Spotted Cow. Tell us the secret, the, the secret about Spotted Cow. It's, um, well, it's a, a locally brewed beer, a craft brewery, and it's only legally sold in Wisconsin. You can't buy it anyplace else. That's crazy. What happens if I smuggle a bunch you could, back you, to New York? Okay. You could buy it here and take it with you. Okay. That would be but fine. But if I sold it. But if you, if you had a store, if, yeah, if you had a store <laughs> in New York, you couldn't sell it legally. Oh, so who's going to, I mean, out of all the things that are, I'm going to get caught doing. <laughs> but they found someone selling them, right? In Minnesota. In Minnesota, of course. It's so Minnesota. It is. It is. Can't I mean, they come up with their own beer? Right. <laughs> they, they take our Packers if they could. Maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. I mean, I'm from Buffalo, so haha. <laughs> I've never been able to say that in 25 years, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, the, the the path forward. You're you're right now. What are you doing day to day? What's a typical day in the life of somebody running for Congress in 2018 in January this early on? We're we're still meeting with um, with local people, with groups, planning for events in the future. Um, involves calling, begging people for money on the phone, but setting up future events coming up. Um, we're going to have, a, like, at the end of the month, Chelsea Handler's coming for a couple of days. It's, it'll be a lot of fun. Is she going to go, you know, knock on doors with you? What's she, what no, is she going to do? It'll be, it'll be a, two different events, one in Madison, one in Milwaukee, that we have right now that we're, we're working on putting together. This is my buffalo, <laughs> buffalo tater tots. <laughs> Dig in, because if I eat any more than half of that, I'm going to... You're going to have to wheel me out. I'm going to have to buy two airline <laughs> seats leaving Wisconsin because I've been here for two days and I already gained 10 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, you, I mean, you have been able to get um, a lot of celebrity support. Yes. What has yes. that been like? Like going, you know, talking to celebrities. You're, you know, you're an iron worker. You're from Wisconsin. Have you had... It's, it's very surreal. But, and, and a lot of it's from them reaching out to me, saying that, you know, you remind me so much of me growing up. You know, my dad did this, my mom did this for a living, such and such, and it was because of them that I'm able to do what I'm doing. And they just feel so lucky, and they, they should be in a, in a good position. And the thing is, is that people, I mean, the, the Republicans have already gone after, the, like, making some references to me spending time in Hollywood. And I was like, they're just jealous because they only have the Duck Dynasty guys. Behind them, Paul Ryan he taking stole the words out So of I don't, yeah. So I don't, I don't hold that against them if that's the best they can do. Uh, and the thing is too is that the people that are offering their help, they're not, um, they're not wealthy, greedy people that want something in return. Right. You know, it's just a, like, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, go give him hell. He's a horrible person. He's making life very 
very horrible for a lot of people. So if I can do anything to help you out, let me know. Who's been the most surprising um, person to reach out to you? I mean, any, across walks of life, like the most interesting story, um, message. Chelsea Handler has really gone above and beyond as far mm -hmm. as, you know, inviting me on her show, and then she had an event at her house, and then coming to Wisconsin. So it's, you know, it, it, and you can tell everybody that's been involved has been very genuine about it too, that it's not, they're not doing it to see themselves or to hear themselves. And she's not from Wisconsin? No, no. And, it, and that's another thing too, is just finding out how many Wisconsin connections there are, meeting people everywhere. What do you do? I mean, you, you get to Hollywood. I mean, you're, you're here talking to working people every day, talking about the economy being crushed, you know, people being potentially rounded up by ice at, at a moment's notice. And then you're in LA and it's, it's surreal. It's a, it's a different, but how do you, I mean, did you know who everybody was? Did you know how to interact with them? I know, well, yeah. I mean, because I mean, um, who else was at the, the Chelsea event? Helen Hunt was there early. She's one of the early people. So I, I went up, started talking, and she, I mean, introduced herself to me, and it just would have been rude. It's like, I know who you are. It was just like, just thanking everybody for being there. And then, too, another, um, another aspect of that, too, was just the whole thing of, of thinking about, like, American Dream. Like, here we are in a very nice house um, and surrounded by people that you see on TV and the movies and it's like that's where you see the American dream more than outside your own front window right so it's, I mean talking to people about that too it's like so it, it's even so hard and that's why I bring it up talking with other like members of my union when they, they bring up the us versus them the divide and conquer aspect of like well if we let all everybody into the country we're going to be out of jobs, you know, and it's, that's not what it's about. Do you hear, do you hear that still in the district? Not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. Just, I mean, looking at, looking at facts, looking at numbers and, and where it's coming from. More people are connecting the dots. Right. That it's, it's a diversion. They're, they're mm -hmm. passing this, this garbage. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like the, the tax scam. Yeah. And it was like. So what do people that are here without documentation have to do with that? It's almost right. like they're they shining in. a right. Yeah. They're shining a flashlight someplace else. And healthcare. I mean, same thing. Right. They sneak in their top priorities into these other bills that they ram down people's throats. Have you had um, any interaction with Paul Ryan? Not recently. So you did before the campaign. So in passing, for I'd see him like at a, a county fair or something. But he's been, he's been pretty good at hiding. How often does he come to his district? Rarely. Even uh, the senatorial camp, uh, Republican, um, I can't think of his name, Kevin, who's a, a Republican running mm -hmm. um, in a primary, he's even made mention. He said he's hardly here. Wow. And he got the other Republicans jumped on him for that, but it's, it's the truth. And when we first started, I was making a comment that it was over 600 days since Paul Ryan had a public town hall. His campaign got a hold of that. They didn't like hearing that, you know, on, on uh, interviews. So they demanded that PolitiFact check up on it. They're like, well, we do, we have these teleconferences, you know, taxpayer-funded deals. Or he has a friend that owns a business that donates to him, that they'll have a captive audience that he'll go talk to. He's like, we do other things instead of, these are public town halls. So PolitiFact came back and they said, I had to, we had to, correct ourselves, that it wasn't 600 days since Paul Ryan had a town hall. It was 650 days oh since Paul Ryan had a public town hall. And that's since gone up to over two years. It's been over two years since Paul Ryan has had a public town hall. Yeah. In the light of, of his champion, his bill that he's championed. So I'm assuming he's not going to want to debate you either. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'd be happy if he would just be in the district to, to be answerable so that people could ask him questions right, right now. Right. But he's not. Um, Congressman Mark Bocan has had, has had five town halls in his absence. And he's going, I mean, to every county to have a town hall since Paul Ryan won't be here. He's afraid of people. And with the horrible policies that he's pushing, I don't blame him for being afraid. How do you think you got elected in the beginning? Well, he, he seemed to have been groomed for it um, yeah. from the stories that, that I'm hearing of people that knew him at a younger age. And... He was a, a nice enough guy. I mean, he used Social Security. 
to get to where he is, um, which is kind of amazing that now he's wants to kick the ladder away from the building so nobody else can get up to where he is. Um, but he's just totally changed from, I mean, before when he ran against, I, I helped Rob Zurbano when he ran two terms against him. And he would come across as a nice enough guy. But when he's in the district, he talked, it was hard to tell who the Democrat was. Because he's talking about saving Social Security and saving all these, these the best things that the country has, has had as far as safety nets. And now he's openly talking about just cutting them from under people. And people are seeing that he's, you know, like the Trump voters that were on board with the drain the swamp, they see Paul Ryan as one of the swamp monsters. One of the, the biggest swamp monster. Do you have any there. sense of his approval ratings right now in district? Um, low. I would say 40s. Which is, to, in, in, to, to compare that to, you know, Congress is, is less popular, and I'm not kidding here, than Hitler is nationally, and it just keeps getting worse and worse every year. But for a congressman in his own district, the joke has always been, we hate all of Congress, just not our congressmen. And that's actually pretty low, especially if, if it's his district where the speaker is. But, and there were, I mean, there are a few people that are like, well, he's speaker, that, that brings us something. But it doesn't. And he's even used that as an excuse for why. Like what? What do they get? We get nothing. We get nothing. We don't even get a, a representative, somebody that cares enough to visit us. And how can, you, how can you claim to care for people that you don't even want to see? You know, and now the fundraisers that they do, you know, and that's the thing, too. Um, I understand the fundraising aspect of it, and if his position as speaker to help other people out, that's fine. But if you're going to do fundraising for other candidates, you at least need to be, you know, accountable to the people of your district. At least show up there. So that's why we're able to, and that's why I find it kind of amazing we were able to outraise him three to one and still have events in the in the district because we care. And that's basically what it comes down to. He's left a vacuum. Right. Right. Exactly. People don't know what's going on. We don't know how legislation is going to affect us. So that's why I'm so grateful. Like Gwen Moore had an event too. Ruben Gallego came up. But Mark Bocant has just been amazing as far as coming here and, and telling people what they need to know and staying until all the questions are answered and drawing big crowds because people, they want to know. You know, it's I think so fascinating about this time around um, for Democrats is you know, it used to be that you needed, you do have celebrity support, but you don't need it. Like, the, the reason why you're popular is not because the celebrities, they're coming in because they see how popular you are from the grassroots. But it used to be that a candidate needed to have, like, a celebrity come in to get a big crowd. Now it's, yeah, we're going to talk about the issues, and everybody, and I want to listen to you, and, and everybody shows up. It's, it's a fascinating time. Mm -hmm. It really is. You, you've run before. What are some of the lessons that you've learned since your first run? Well, that it's, I mean, I tried doing it while working full-time, and that just, that wasn't going to work. Also, um, having full-time staff. Yeah. You know, before it was all volunteer-based. So what did you run for before? For, I ran for Assembly, I ran for Senate, I mean, heavily gerrymandered districts, which is, is fine. Right. And um, people are asking, well, did you learn anything? And it was, well, yeah, you need, you need good campaign staff, so that's... That's what we did, and that's, you know, we talked about it, came up with a good, solid plan beforehand, and looked at the videos, you know, how decided we were going to launch with a video. And then, well, what kind of video? Well, we were already set up, and we looked at the commercials that they did. We did, like, Mayor de Blasio's ad, sitting down eating breakfast with his family. And I really like that because it's, it's just telling a story. And they have a background in making documentaries, so that's, it's just really natural for them. I'm just so sick of these political attack ads and the negativity. So that's that's why we went with that. And then we had, we were in place too to boost that signal. So it's, I mean, it grew, it grew quite a bit organically. So it, it obviously costs money to run for office. And this is one of those frustrating things for progressives. Um, you know, you're still going to have to raise money and, and you're doing great right now, but you're facing the Speaker of the House who could dip into funds at any moment. And then he has the Koch brothers, and who knows who else is going to jump in on the outside and, and possibly assist him. Where, for, for, for maybe folks who've never worked in a campaign before or aren't familiar with how this works, where does the money go? Like, is it, I mean, where, where are you deciding the money should go? Because obviously there's a, there's a debate over where resources are spent. But, you know, mm -hmm. your, 
What kind of campaign are you running? We're we're building up. We're getting ready. We already have a full-time volunteer coordinator. Mm -hmm. So we're getting, we're finding out where everybody is, or all the volunteers are. Mm -hmm. Doing a lot as far as um, getting people's contact info for, like, donors. And mm -hmm. um, so we have our, our staff. Our office is open up now mm -hmm. down the street. We'll have seven full-time staff on, well, next week. And you're going to have to do a lot of door-to-door, -door, right? We'll be doing, yeah. We'll, we'll be setting up to do a lot of door-to-door. -door. And it's and we're also doing, we're getting set up for, like, um, text messaging people mm -hmm. so that we can geographically locate them. So if we have an event in a particular area, we can we can target people within a you know, certain mile radius, invite mm -hmm. them. But we're getting ready to do a lot of voter contact, and and all the money that's going to be coming in to help Paul Ryan, I would imagine most is going to be attack ads on me. Um, I talked to John Ossoff <laughs> when we were at Netroots Nation. He was yeah. telling me about some of the ads that they pulled on him, or like calling him a terrorist, to the, and even having like a machine gun shooting people, like a cartoon type thing. Where did that come from? He had no idea. Because he didn't want to build a wall. <laughs> I don't know, but it's. I mean that kind of stuff. They're Just jumping to major conclusions. Things that are re really ridiculous that aren't based in, yes. you know, in the real wor real world. Um, but just so ours is going to be just getting a positive message out, and that's all we need to do to win. I mean, the world's paying attention to this district, right? And I think you know another reason why your race is resonating with people. It's not just that you have this opponent who is. A representative of all things wrong with the Republican Party and, and what's happening today, but in this landscape of Wisconsin where, you know, it's the petri dish for the Republican playbook and their attacks right. on, on workers, but it also represents the divide in the Democratic Party, and, you know, there's this very real debate over whether or not, you know, Democrats should be talking about economics, should be placing workers out front, um, or focusing on other other things, maybe supporting corporate money more or, you know, some of the, the donor class, you know, letting the donor class dictate who the candidates are. And are you the best fundraiser and that's how we choose you? Right. How, I mean, it is, to me it's been fascinating because you have people from all sides of the Democratic Party supporting you. And you are very much that economic, I mean, you are a Bernie delegate. You, you are part of a union, you've been part of a union. You talk about economics against an Ayn Rand free market capitalist. Why, I mean, what, how do you see this being a lesson for other candidates and other races? Like, what can the Democrats learn from this? I think it's about just being genuine. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we went to, like, Washington, D.C. and ran into Ben Ray Lujan from the DCCC, who just, he came up and he had to tell me, you know, about this picture on his, on his office of a, a man on a picket line. His dad's an iron worker. So him coming up and just, you know, having real positive things to say and it's like just wondering how they're gonna how the D Triple C is gonna because it seems like, you know, in the past I read about them getting the candidates that have a lot of money already and supporting them. And and, and for those who are not familiar, the D Triple C is the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee and Ben Ray Lujan is a congressman but he he's the head of the committee. So I think we've been able to show and, and by coming out front too and, and saying that we're not taking any money from fossil fuel we're not taking any, you know, Wall Street money, and just taking a stand. This is what's important to us. And then seeing things, you know, like Bernie bringing in a lot of money, twenty-seven dollars average campaign contribution. Ours too. It's like over a hundred thousand people have already helped out, um, and it's like twenty-four, twenty-five dollars per contribution. Got to keep knocking that floor down. Um, but it's, I, I think, and that came from taking an early stand and saying, "This is who I am. This is what I'm about." I don't want your money because I'm not going to make decisions on your behalf. But it's it's the people, and, and the people see something about that in their story. That it's this guy builds things with his hands, and they look at Congress and see what where we've we been going as a country. What you know, we have Donald Trump in the White House. Um, so it's you know, and then and coming back as as far as I mean, and then one of the reasons that you know, like Bernie Sanders, when I supported him for for the primary. So I'm working on a, the high-rise in downtown Milwaukee. I get a, a phone call on my lunch break. So I'm eating lunch. I, get, I don't recognize the number. Just hello. And it was like, so, this is so-and-so from the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, we were wondering if you would be interested. He's coming to have an event 
at State Fair, would you be interested in, in speaking at it? And so I was like, our union had endorsed Hillary for the primary, and I was, I said, I can do it, but I can't mention I'm an iron worker, you know? And they were like, that's fine, that, that would be great. And then he went on to ask, um, are there any like job actions? Are you aware of any job actions going on? So I'm like, not only am I blown away that I'm a construction worker on a job site getting called to go ask at a you know presidential event, but this guy that's running for president wants to go walk a picket line if there's one in the area. And I was like, how, as a working person, how can you, how can that not you know mean something to you? Um, just knowing, especially in Wisconsin, where there have been so many picket lines. And even taking my son, he's been on probably more picket lines than 98% of the people in the state. An 11-year-old. 11-year-old. He gets it, though. He understands it. Um, and as long as it's not too cold, he'll, <laughs> he'll hang out for your, you know, if it's not movie night. You know, and, and, and Donald Trump is the exact opposite of that. Um, but, you know, and then after the primary, I did... Um, I did help get veteran support for, for Hillary Clinton because it's all about keeping this guy who I know is going to do horrible things to our country from being able to do it. And that's where we are today. And then seeing more people get involved after he got elected because it was like there's a whole day of disbelief, at least that I thought. You know, I woke up and I was like, no, he, there's no way he got more votes than she did. But he did. And we're, and we're seeing what happens as a result of that. But I think if we could go back and, and vote again, the results would be different. Today? Yes. Yeah. In Wisconsin, do you think so? I do. Wow. I do. Just the people see that. He was, he was full of crap. He didn't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And then with that book, it looks like he didn't even want to be president. Right. From what I'm getting. Fire and fury. Yes. It's, it's really incredible to see how quickly people have turned around and changed. I mean, it's... it's it's not even a year since he's been inaugurated, and right. the amount of damage he's done. It's not just the policies, but it's, I mean, our country's reputation. Where I'm talking to people that were, that traveled someplace, and I was, somebody I was talking to recently said that they were overseas, and I was like, well, wouldn't it have been a good idea to claim you were from Canada? <laughs> you know, where it's like, that's what we're getting. Yeah. If you go overseas, people are like, how could you let this guy become right. president? And talk in front of the United Nations, talking about, you know, North Korea, rocket man on a suicide mission. What president would ever say stuff like that? Or call the White House a dump. Right. So it's, I mean, these are, these are scary times. But the way that we're going to be able to take things back is to, to be involved after the election, not knocking on people's doors a couple weeks before. That's where I think the Democratic Party needs to go, is to be involved in people's lives 24-7 and prove that we're there for people, for, for all the people, not just the rich ones that turn our elections into auctions. Right. And, and it's, you know, being their full, full cycle, not, when you say 24-7, uh, there, there is this history of Democrats swooping into districts that are swing districts that they think they're going to invest their money in, and finding the right candidate who can raise, raise all that money for that swing, swing district, and ignoring most of the map. And then that's how Alec swoops into Wisconsin or, or other parts of the country and, and takes over our legislatures. I mean, we're facing, as you know, you know the census is coming up and redistricting. Uh, you know, Democrats have a lot, a lot ahead of them to, to win back the past seats. Absolutely. And redistricting, obviously. Absolutely. And, and we, need to, we need to do it to show that there is an urgency. We need to put a lot of effort into it. Um, and we can't, we can't give up. We just can't. And it's, it's really encouraging too when you talk, see about people that are helping you out. I, talk, I talked earlier about like the the National Adapt people flying to Washington D.C. to get arrested. And it was at, where were we at? I think it was Netroots, where I was talking to a reporter from Wall Street Journal, and she was asking. She's like, so what does this resistance mean to you? And I brought I brought that up because that that was really fresh in my mind. All kinds of people, disabled people, standing up for people that don't have disabilities. And then um, Rebecca, she came. She was one of the, the ADAPT people. But there was, there was a, a group of them that came by us, and they were like, hey, Randy, thanks for the shout-out on Twitter as I'm talking to this report. And I was like, you could not have planned <laughs> yeah. that out any better. You know, I was like, that's what I mean. And it's like, it's meeting people. I never would have met her 
if that didn't happen. Everybody's connected, yeah. So it's it's getting more involved and it's understanding other people's issues too, like what's because everybody has has something that's important to them, and so if we can do something to help everybody achieve their goals, which is a very possible thing to do, and that that's another thing too that we're we're doing as far as running for office is reaching out and helping other grassroots people. Whether it's, I mean, like Crystal Ball has her People's House Project, that right away, once once we announced, that was, she was very helpful as far as like dealing with MSNBC and just giving advice, giving some pointers. Um, so it's, there's a lot of help out there and it's just getting plugged in and, and listening, which I, I think is, is the number one job of anybody that wants to represent other people is listening. So it's hearing about people's issues and then being resolved to do something about it too and not just giving lip service. And that's what's gone on. Paul Ryan has been, I mean, 20 years. It's as long as I've been an iron worker. And I can go around and, and point to quite a few buildings that I, I worked on in the area. And Paul Ryan doesn't have a lot to drive around and point out of things that he's done to help us. Hmm. Do you think that you've transformed the Democratic Party in Wisconsin? Um, I don't know if I, I could say I could take credit for transforming it. I know it's like we're waking people up, kind of shaking them, like, look, we have a real opportunity here. And it's not just for removing Paul Ryan, it's, it's for taking back the entire state because we have a, a governor's race coming up, a lot of candidates running for that, other congressional races too, and, and keeping Tammy Baldwin in office, which is really important. They're talking about bringing a lot of money in to get rid of her. So it's... It's not just the first congressional district. It's it is taking back our state, and then because we're taking out the speaker of, of the house. I mean, the third most powerful Republican in the government now. That's I want to be there and send that message that your policies are horrible and your time is up. We're gonna we're gonna put more of us back in. We'll be watching. It's very exciting. We hope. Yeah. yeah. Now eat your your cold bean spicy. dip. Now does this have meat in it? Does it have cheese curds on it? No. I only eat things curds. with cheese curds on it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs>